0: As of today, the state of Oklahoma has 13,600 test kits available. Uh, anyone with symptoms of COVID 19 or those who have come in contact with someone with COVID uh, needs to be tested this week. And, and again, this is about uh, personal responsibility. Um, you know, and, so I think we've, we've, we've done what we should do. These are times when we have to protect public health, but ultimately this is a personal responsibility and I don't believe that we, we can uh, arrest people or, or do that. There's got to be, there's gotta be uh, um, you know, there's got to be, we've got to again, go do essential services. There's pharmacy, so we've got to be safe when we, uh, when we go do it. I, I don't know if everybody's heard the last uh, questions or not. I've answered that four times, so next question.
1: Uh, Yeah, Governor, do you think the number of positive cases will be lower right now had your original order that targeted 19 counties extended to all counties across the state?
0: I don't think there's any way to to speculate on that. I'm Ben
1: Felder with The Frontier, and this is COVID-19 in Oklahoma, a daily podcast from The Frontier exploring the impact the coronavirus is having on our state. Today is Thursday, April 2nd. Well, hello, Cassie McClung. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing good, Ben. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Hey, you're going big time with me. Did I hear you on an Australian podcast today?
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I made my international debut, but it was interesting. Um, Yeah, we just talked about, I guess they had a lot of people from coastal cities kind of weighing in on COVID-19 in those areas, and they said they didn't have anyone in Mid-America, so... Hmm kind of got to talk about Oklahoma and how we're doing over here.
1: Well, good for them for trying to uh, diversify their diversify their voices. I actually caught it. You did a good job.
2: (laughs) Oh, thank you. Appreciate that.
1: Um, well, let's start like we often do, um, new numbers out on Wednesday, which showed a, a pretty significant increase in some areas.
2: Yeah. So we actually, um, the state saw the biggest jump in confirmed cases it's seen so far. So, um, as of this morning, which is Wednesday, there were 719 confirmed cases and that was up from um, it went up by 154 from the day before and There were 219 hospitalizations and there have been at least 30 um, people who have died from COVID related illnesses.
1: Yeah, you know so, I, You know, we always try talk about the putting these numbers in perspective and, and what do they mean and and what do they not mean? When I saw these numbers today, I went to see if there was any kind of available data on, on flu hospitalizations and deaths because you know, we constantly hear some people compare this to the flu or say, you know, some people claim, oh, the flu kills more. Or, you, know, why do, you know, a lot of things we hear about that. Um, the Department of Health has quite a bit of data on this. And I was taking a look at from the, the beginning of the flu season, which they count September 1st. So from September okay. 1st to now, there's been an average of three flu-related deaths a week in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. so across the state, uh, three a week. And since our first death here in Oklahoma, um, because of COVID-19, which is two weeks, mm-hmm. 30 divided by two, we've seen 15 so far. So I kind of just, you know, I don't know we need to focus too much on that number, but I just kind of yeah. help kind of put in perspective a little bit on what uh, on what we're seeing. You know, obviously mm-hmm. this is worse than the flu. It's not debatable, but, um, you know, we're seeing kind of the impact that hospitals are having and the number of hospitalizations and the number of deaths. And that's just after two weeks. I mean, I think we are probably expecting that that number is going to to rise and that average uh, per week is probably going to go up.
2: Right. That's interesting that you looked at that. I'm glad you did, because, you know, I have been I know you have been too. seeing a lot of people comparing uh, the coronavirus to the flu. And I think as time is going on, we can see that it's not comparable.
1: Yeah. And keep in mind, this is is in the last two weeks, so kind of an an intense period. We're talking about the average flu death spread out over many months, um, and we're just Mm -hmm. kind of two weeks in since we've seen seen our first death. And so obviously, uh, you know, tragic uh, for those and their families um, also puts a strain on the health system. Speaking of kind of that strain, you know, one thing today that I thought was kind of interesting, just kind of an interesting tidbit, is the Oklahoma mm-hmm. Institute for Child Advocacy held kind of a virtual town hall. And uh, Dr. I think I'm saying it right, the MC Kaliki, who's a pediatrician at OU Children's mm-hmm. Hospital, said that there's no confirmed cases of children with COVID-19 at OU Children's. He said there were seven or eight that were kind of under investigation. But one thing that I thought was interesting is he said at the emergency room there at OU, um, they are now seeing about 40 to 50 uh, cases in the emergency room a day which is half of what they normally see and Mm -hmm. he said it kind of spoke to everyone's efforts to try to stay home and and, you know not come to the emergency room or the hospital if they really don't need to to um, to kind of give uh, healthcare workers a little bit more breathing room and trying to combat COVID 19 so i thought that was kind of an interesting just kind of tidbit that uh that doctors are seen in emergency rooms. I'm not sure that's the case everywhere, but at least at OU, that uh, right. they've seen the number of emergency room visits kind of cut in half. And and as he said, it kind of speaks to people kind of taking this seriously. And, and maybe also people aren't mm-hmm. going outdoors as much. Probably there's less opportunity for accidents. I don't know. But uh, at least there, that's kind of something that they've appreciated um, and having a little bit more space to, uh, to focus on the coronavirus.
2: Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I guess aside from you know, less people in the emergency rooms, did they talk about at all how this virus is affecting kids? Because I feel like we've, you know, been hearing a lot about those vulnerable populations, people over 65, but, you know, what, how is it affecting children?
1: Yeah, and at least here in Oklahoma, uh, Dr. Kaliki said that it wasn't affecting children in any great way. Uh, Like you said, at OU, they don't have any confirmed cases. And he talked a lot about how, uh you know, children can often be asymptomatic or not exhibit some of the severity of symptoms that you see in, in older adults, especially. Now, mm-hmm. he did not downplay the danger of this and was not saying that, oh, children are fine. They can they go about their business. I mean, he was still recommending that, uh, you know, families with children continue to practice, you know, you know, practice like they would as adults with social distancing and staying home and less, uh, less necessary to go out. So um, mm-hmm. you, we do continue to hear this. It's not impacting kids in the same way. And that uh, seems to continue to be the case at this at this point.
2: Right, yeah, I know we have, I think, a handful, maybe 15 or fewer um, cases in children in Oklahoma. So I feel like that's been kind of a less talked about population. And it might be just because a lot of times they're not showing the same symptoms mm-hmm. that uh, those more vulnerable groups are.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Well, um, in addition to the numbers today, uh, the other big news of Wednesday was uh, Governor Kevin Stitt expanded his order. Uh, mm-hmm. About 10 days ago, he ordered that all non essential businesses close in the 19 counties with con- confirmed COVID 19 cases. And in 10 days, that expanded. I think there were 48 counties this morning that had confirmed cases, or somewhere yeah. north of 40. And mm-hmm. a Wednesday afternoon, he announced that he was expanding that order statewide. So all 77 counties. This press conference was interesting for a couple of reasons that we'll get into. Mm-hmm. And it was probably also one of Governor Stitt's most testy press conferences, I, I guess, yeah. put, it, put it that way, that he's had in his uh, his short tenure as governor. A lot of questions about why not do more or why not, why not do a shelter in place or, or why not be more forceful with your order? Why not do this sooner? Um, and the governor really kind of kept falling back to this idea that I can take some steps, but really it's up to Oklahomans. He said personal responsibility Mm -hmm. many times and said that this is really going to be up to individuals to to help flatten this curve.
2: Right. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting take because I think a lot of people expected um, Governor Stitt to announce a statewide, you know, maybe some kind of shelter at home order. But he did keep falling back to, you know. He he said a couple of times. I think that it's impractical to have everyone bunkered down in their homes
0: mm-hmm.
2: until this is over. You know, I think he said it wasn't realistic. So yeah, he's really counting on people, you know, to limit their physical interaction and take, you know, take the responsibility into their own hands. So I think there was about four or five questions from reporters uh, during that press conference from that today, and I think. Um, you know, by the fourth question, he was getting a little tired of answering it.
1: Yeah. Well, in his defense a bit, I will say there was at one point where he was he was asked almost an identical question right after answering it. And that's when he kind of right. said, like, I don't know if you've been listening, but I've answered this question four times. So, Oh, no,
2: I can't blame him. We're, we're
1: going to move on. So <laughs> a little bit in his defense there. But right. I also felt like there wasn't a lot of, still a lot of clarity on, on what this means and what this looks mm-hmm. like. You know i i asked him and this was near the end so when he had been maybe riled up a little bit from the questions mm-hmm. i asked him about the the order to close non-essential businesses that he's now expanded and whether or not he thought if he had gone statewide 10 days ago if if we'd see fewer cases now and he said there's just no way of knowing that and that was his answer mm-hmm. uh to that but you I, I know we don't have to spend much time on this because we really don't know the answer and we're kind of theorizing right. just based on our perspective but you know, where do you think this kind of comes from on him? I don't know if this is he's trying to appease those who feel like he should be taking forceful action and also mm-hmm. appease those who feel like the government's doing too much. We talked about this a couple episodes ago about how in a state like Oklahoma, you may have quite a few people who, if the gov- if the government says do something, they, they may be a bit highly skeptical and do the opposite.
2: Right. That's a great question. It's hard to, you know, speculate on how he's viewing it, but. You know, I've always kind of seen him as trying to strike some kind of balance, and I'm not, you know, going to say whether he's, you know, hit the right balance, but I I think he's trying to kind of look at, you know, how can I protect the health of Oklahomans, you know, but still appease the people who voted for him? Because, you know, a lot of the people who voted for him, you know, Governor Stitt, a lot of people in those rural areas, Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying, you know, only those rural areas voted for the governor, but... Um, you know, a lot of people in those areas still think that um, coronavirus is overblown. So yeah. you know the gov- you know the government coming in and telling you to close your business isn't a super popular opinion and it's also not good for people's businesses.
1: Yeah. It's hard not to feel like this is a partisan issue. I mean, I think in I, mean, mm-hmm. I think we have some really clear examples of that at the national level. You know on Wednesday, um, was it the New York Times, the Washington Post, I think it was the Times that uh, Tulsa Mayor Bynum, Uh, wrote a column and the headline, which I'm sure he doesn't write, but the headline was, you know, I'm a Republican mayor and I'm shutting down the city, something to that extent. Mm -hmm. So the the hook was that Republicans aren't taking this seriously enough, but here's a Republican lawmaker who is, or at least that's kind of how they presented it. So there is a little little bit of a, a belief that this is a partisan issue, even in Oklahoma.
2: Definitely. I mean, it's, it's, you you really can't take politics out of it because there's so, you know, when you're making these statewide restrictions, I mean, people who are more on the conservative side aren't going to like that. I mean, aside from, you know, the national rhetoric we've been kind of seeing, but it's, I think it's, I have to say, it's kind of impossible to separate the two. I mean, because these are policy issues at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I don't necessarily want to give too much attention to this, but you know, there's a conservative think tank in Oklahoma. They write a bunch of uh, blog posts and a lot of their writing over the last couple of weeks have, has essentially been that this is overblown and this is hurting the mm-hmm. economy and, and maybe this isn't worth it. And obviously we've heard that argument and, you know, not just in Oklahoma. So it is, you know, it just, it definitely feels like a partisan issue. And, and once again, I'm not sure if that's, if what if what the governor is doing is trying to kind of walk the middle ground. And often when you do that, you mm-hmm. don't please either side. Um, or right. if this is really the balanced approach, if this is really a, the kind of balanced approach that he believes in, if he truly believes that, listen, I'm, I don't need to, you know, I need to limit my actions because at the end of the mm-hmm. day, it's up to, it's up to Oklahomans.
2: Yeah. And again, I'm speculating, but I really do think he believes that, you know, with the personal responsibility and, you know, letting Oklahomans take this into their hands and use their best judgment and hopefully come together and, you know, make the right decisions. I just kind of feel like that's his way of viewing this issue.
1: Yeah. And let's remember, I mean, the way he kind of kicked off his public persona and all this was the the tweet a few weeks ago at the Mm -hmm. restaurant. I think there's a lot of people who still remember that. And um, so for those who think that the governor needs to be really forceful, that probably wasn't the best first step for him. You know, another thing that he said is he, he referred to bunker in place. I haven't really I don't believe I've heard that term before. I, mm-hmm. I know I've used that term for my family. People ask how's it going, and I've said, you know, we're just kind of bunkered down. But he said, "bunkered down" is a soundbite, but it's not, but it's not practical. Um, so I don't know if that was just kind of a window into his mind that he really sees, you know, a shelter in place as this bunker in place and a, a more forceful order, order that goes too far. But I just thought that was kind of an interesting mm-hmm. moment when he said that. I don't know. Have you heard that phrase before?
2: Um. No, I actually haven't. Um, but yeah, that kind of caught my attention too when he said that. You know, he said, you know, he has a safer at home policy, but realistically, people can't bunker down. And he kind of, you know, pointed to people having to go to grocery stores and the pharmacy, and um, yeah, and then he kind of went into everyone having their duty, even when they go out to the grocery store to keep their social distances. So I do think he kind of used that as a very extreme move to take, kind of a last, you know, like if he can avoid it, he can, he yeah. will.
1: Yeah. Well, let's let's move on to some of the substance that we heard from from to from Wednesday's press conference. So Stid announced that the state now has thirteen thousand testing kits, so the testing mm-hmm. should dramatically increase. And one thing that he said was, "quote Anyone with symptoms of COVID nineteen or anyone who's come in contact with someone." was COVID-19 needs to get tested this week. Quote, if you can hear me, please begin testing these folks today. I thought that was an an interesting statement.
2: Right. So, you know, we've talked about modeling quite a bit um, throughout, I guess, the last week. And they talked a lot about this a little bit at the press conference today, but just how they're trying to predict how Um, COVID-19 will impact the state and what kind of preparations they need to make. But they're really kind of working with an incomplete picture on, you know, how they're trying to make those predictions. And part of it, a big part of it is because the state, you know, doesn't know how many people are actually infected and what areas of the state the infection has reached. So, I mean, that's a big reason why the state is, you know, working to build up its testing capability so much because experts have been telling me how important it is to trace the spread and kind of know what they're working with. And then another thing, you know, the state is trying to do with testing is, uh, I'm not sure if you saw, but Commissioner, Health Commissioner Gary Cox yesterday sent that letter to private labs, um, just kind of, you know, kind of pleading with them to send in their negative testing results. Hmm. Because we don't, you know, the state doesn't know how many people have been tested in the state either because so far uh, the health department only knows how many people the health department has tested. And as private labs have been, you know, really ramping up their testing, the state's missing a huge part of the picture of how many people have been tested. So, you know, that kind of goes into what is our infection rate. And if we don't know our infection rate, it's really hard to uh, make those predictive models on how this virus is gonna develop.
1: Yeah, and when you look at any charts that kind of show, uh, I know you've tweeted this out, and, and Dylan, our editor, has tweeted this out today, the you know, charts that show the number of cases and the number of hospitalizations and deaths, that that cases line especially is really striking to go up. I mean, we're almost to, we're, we're getting closer to a point where it's going straight up. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with with an increase in testing. And if we are going to see, a, you know, a continued increase, then I guess, you know, we can expect that that, that case number to, to continue to really, you know, shoot shoot up in the days to come.
2: Right, right. And, you know, I feel like time, is it's kind of hard to keep track of right now. I don't know if it is for you, but for me, I've been having trouble keeping my days straight. Uh, <laughs>
0: no.
2: But, you know, just since the, I think it was the 21st of March, um, there were only 53 known cases in the state. Yeah. And now here we are, April 1st, and there's 719. So, you know, that's pretty exponential growth over that time period. So I imagine, you know, especially now that the state has 13,000 and something kits, and, you know, the governor was like, you need to get tested this week. I expect, you know, we'll really see some new. Information coming
1: out. Yeah, and I expect that we're going to hear from healthcare providers if they say, "Hey, we're not able to," or we're getting pushback, or um, because that's mm-hmm. kind of been the 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 confrontation between the government and healthcare providers who have saying, "You say we have more tests, we're, we're not seeing it." I know you've you know mm-hmm. talked to, talked to many and reported on that, so it'll be interesting to see where this goes and what we hear uh, from doctors in in the coming days. So I thought we might hear in this press conference some details on the modeling that the that the state had been working on over the last few days. I know mm-hmm. that's a story that you're working on. And as when people are listening to this podcast on Thursday, that story is likely to be up. But uh, he did mention that based on some modeling, he expects the peak to be somewhere in late April. Mm-hmm. He did also say that some models show like a mid-August peak. I, I mean, he... He was kind of saying it's all over the place, but he seemed to kind of center on this idea of a late April peak in Oklahoma.
2: Right, and you know, I'm hoping in the coming days we'll hopefully, you know, see more information about those models and what different models show. But yeah, it did seem like a big range between April and August. But you know, as we know, we've been talking about modeling isn't an exact science. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, and then he said, they he also seemed to. say that they have plans to maybe build some uh, field hospitals. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah. But he did mention maybe building up some hospitals. I thought that was interesting and he said that if the peak does hit in April too that um, the state should have enough ventilators. So I'd be interested in hearing more about that information too. Uh,
1: One term he used, borrowing a term from hurricane forecasting, was the cone of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. I believe that's when you see the numerous lines that a hurricane could go Um, some may remember that that image when there was debate on whether or not a recent hurricane was going to go to Alabama or not and uh, the use of a sharpie from the president on that but these when you have this hurricane coming in from the Atlantic and you see many different paths that it can go and he kind of said that right now we are in this cone of uncertainty and that that's one Mm -hmm. of the reasons why we really need to increase the testing because this could go many different ways
2: right exactly so i'm kind of wondering if you know as the state does ramp up testing and maybe figures out kind of how many people have been tested if that peak is going to move because right now it's you know late april but we could see it move closer to you know that august point uh sit mentioned and i'm not a i'm not a data scientist so Take this with a grain of salt but i am interested to see you know how those testing numbers will influence uh how oklahoma responds and where that peak might be
1: yeah well he did say you know that these are going to the next few weeks are going to be really critical to slowing the mm-hmm. spread in oklahoma so it does kind of feel like we are entering a really as he said a critical time for the state both because we see the numbers increasing and not just the cases we've talked about before. I mean, we're going to see those numbers go up as we test more, but hospitalizations and, Mm -hmm. you know, the number of Oklahomans that are dying because of that, I mean, that's really where the rubber meets the road on this, on this virus. And we're, we're seeing those numbers continue to, to increase uh, pretty dramatically each day.
2: Right. And, you know, kind of like you said, like the hospital, hospitalizations and death numbers are the really, the numbers that experts are honing in on, but, you know, the, the testing just helps. And I think a lot of people kind of get confused on that. It's like the testing, you know, isn't for treatment really, or, you know, anything like that. It's really just to kind of predict how this virus is moving and how many hospitalizations we can expect and, you know, deaths too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's going to be a big, big next uh, few weeks. Um, Definitely. You've got some reporting on, like I said, on, on modeling coming out, anything else big that you're working on right now?
2: Um, you know, it's hard. I'm just trying to take it day by day, honestly right now. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I'm looking at the modeling and, you know, I'm always looking at how the hospital capacity is doing. And, um, apparently this is something, um, I think listeners might find interesting. The state department of health just, uh, started to report whether the people who died um, from COVID-19 whether they had any underlying health conditions. Hmm. So yeah, they just uh, released that today. So I think you know that'll be interesting to kind of look into those numbers and kind of see if there's any trends there.
1: Yeah, I mean the governor did say today that of those that have died, I can't remember the exact figure, but he he said most were over the age of 65, and those that were younger. I believe he said all had some kind of underlying health health issue.
2: Yeah. So I'm looking at this report right now and I won't you know, go too into it, but um, it says the average age of those um, deceased was almost uh, 71 years old hmm. and 71% of those who died had at least one core uh, comorbidity such as diabetes, heart disease, or cir- circulatory disease, chronic lung disease, um, liver disease stuff like that and um, just in case anyone's interested since I have this report in front of me, uh, the average age of people hospitalized is 64 and the average age of cases not hospitalized is around 50.
1: Hmm. Okay, so that kind of goes in line with what we've heard for the in most cases those that are younger mm-hmm. you know, are not re- not requiring to, to stay at a hospital and, and in many cases doctors are still telling those even if they get a positive test as long as they're you know, don't seem to be in dire need, having trouble breathing, that uh, staying home is is the way to go.
2: Right, right. I don't want to downplay the seriousness of, you know, young people really needing to practice their social distancing because, you know, you know, young people obviously can get really sick too, but it's also about, you know, trying not to spread it around to people who might be more vulnerable to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, uh, Cassie, uh, before we sign off, anything, anything good from today on your, or in your Wednesday? Um,
2: yeah, you know, it's been a really busy day, <laughs> but I did get up. So um, I've been going grocery shopping. I've been trying to just go once per week. And, you know, usually it's kind of a hit or miss on how picked over it is. But today um, I did find some perfectly ripe avocados I'm about to make guacamole with. So, oh, nice. yeah. What about you?
1: Um, I started, I've tried to get into this habit of, so my, because my son's not going to school every day, I've, I've tried mm-hmm. not to set an alarm so I can kind of naturally wake up, which is still, you know, it's, I'm not like sleeping in late or anything like that, but, uh, right. and instead of just jumping right into work, you know, just kind of maybe reading a book for half an hour or so, or maybe a little longer just to kind of ease into the day. I feel like that's, uh, since I've started doing that over the last several days, it's kind of helped, uh, help make the day feel a little bit less chaotic. Anyways, I started um, a book by uh, uh, Randy Krabel of the, or uh, I'm, I'm sure right. if of the, of, of the uh, Tulsa race massacre that he wrote uh, that came out recently. And I just started that book and um, I'm just a few chapters in, but really, really kind of looking forward to continuing to dive into that. And it, so I don't know if that's, I mean, the book is I, so far really interesting. So that is a good moment, but yeah, it, It has made me kind of think a little bit about, you know, next year is the 100th anniversary. Um, This month is the 25th anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing, which would normally be kind of a big, I think we'd be really coming into this season Mm -hmm. of this, you know, 25 years and there would be a lot more reporting and stories. And at um, at some point I'm going to finish a couple stories that I have related to this. And in the interview that I had with Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt, over the weekend on this podcast. So you can find that in this fe- in your podcast feed. Um, I asked him about that, and he said, you know, it's it's going to be different than we anticipated. Obviously, we're not having a live ceremony because we, we can't have a big gathering. He said, I anticipated that the kind of the eyes of the nation would be on us for a day, and I just don't think that's going to be the case now because yeah. of what's going on. And uh, so it's it just kind of made me think of these big moments and these big stories that would be but are now kind of taking a back seat to, uh, to obviously you know, understandably to the coronavirus pandemic.
2: Right, yeah, and I know, you know, that's a big, huge thing every year and I'm trying to remember when it is, you know, the marathon, I know that was canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it just shows like straight, we're just living in strange times right now.
1: Yeah, that we are and uh, those times are gonna continue at least from the government's perspective, at least for the next few weeks um we'll be we'll be in an important stretch of time here in oklahoma and uh Mm -hmm. cassie you know you'll be on top of it so thanks uh thanks for your time today
2: yeah you too ben i appreciate it
1: all right well have a have a good one and uh we'll talk to you again soon
2: all right sounds good see ya
1: that's going to do it for today's episode for the frontier i'm ben felder Stay safe and healthy. I'll be back with you on Thursday.